This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Well, it's time for another twist rate. We always get questions about twist rates. What's the appropriate twist rate? What is too much twist rate? <laughs> and we get lots of arguments about them. And I'll have to confess that I am not absolutely positive you cannot overstabilize a bullet. But I've always said you can't. Once you've got gyroscopic stability in your bullet, it doesn't matter if you add another 1,000 RPMs to it or even, I suppose, 10,000, other than maybe tearing the bullet apart if it's too frangible has too light of a jacket. However, there are some other things that could happen to mess you up. And someone who has got a fairly good handle on this after a recent trip to Africa and some trouble with a 375H and H, believe it or not, <laughs> is John McAdams of the Big Game Hunting Podcast. John, what is all this you've been trying to tell me about the 375 and twist rates and stability? What's going on? <laughs> So that's a really good question, Ron. So first, thanks a lot for having me on the show. You and I have talked for a long time. You've been on my podcast a couple of times. Those episodes were really good. So it's a pleasure and an honor to be here uh, talking with you and your audience today. So backing up a couple of weeks here, gosh, maybe it might have been a month or so now, you had a podcast uh, where you were listening to some questions that some of your listeners uh, posed to you and a one of your listeners referenced one of my podcasts with some stuff <laughs> Kevin Robertson was talking about it and whatnot. And so I wanted to, I guess, kind of start with that and some of the issues and problems that we discussed in that podcast, give you some more context in it, then we can talk about this rifling twist rate deal uh, in a little bit more detail. Okay. So, um, in your podcast, the listener asked you about uh, a podcast that I had with Kevin Robertson, veterinarian and professional hunter from Zimbabwe, author. He's been on my podcast many, many times, and he and I were talking, gosh, it may have been about a year ago, talking about elephant hunting. And elephants, as you well know, are gigantic animals, require a tremendous amount of penetration in order to reach the vitals 
especially on that frontal brain shot. And Mm -hmm. Kevin in that episode was emphasizing the importance of not only using the appropriate cartridge and bullet, but making sure that it was quote unquote properly stabilized in your rifle. Not too much, but not too little as well. And um, he talked in that episode about the 375 H&H having some big problems with penetration at very, very close range, like inside 25, maybe even 20 meters and closer and whatnot. And things like that are not very common, but they happen sometimes, especially on game like Elephant, especially on that uh, frontal brain shot. And And it has has to do with twist rate? This this is kind of the... Yeah, so Kevin talked about that in the episode that that is why he thought it had to do that he that is what he thought was the issue with it and okay. maybe he was right maybe he was wrong but he made some changes uh, in the way that he did things and the problem went away and okay. uh, all of that but this is one of those things that it crops up just enough with the 375 that um I've heard of other issues besides what Kevin was describing on different animals and and, and this and that and um, I, you know, what he talked about was the bullet, quote unquote, going to sleep, where as it exits the muzzle, it is the most unstable that it is. And after it travels a certain distance, the it will, quote unquote, go to sleep, become more stable and then uh, penetrate better as well. And this is something that is an issue with basically every single cartridge, every single bullet, but it's a much bigger problem with some than it is with others. And it's one of these things that uh, you may not even notice it uh, being a problem most of the time unless you're using one of those cartridges in particular bullets that is most susceptible to it and at very close range. Mm-hmm. Um, in that episode, he talked about uh, a client of his shooting a Cape Buffalo in the head, frontal brain shot on this uh, buffalo, shooting it really in the nose when it was looking at him at about eight, nine meters, something like that. Very, very close. The buffalo dropped, but they noticed that it was kicking and, and moving around on the ground. And so they shot it again when it was there and that killed it. And they were all happy. And uh, they thought that was the end of it. That evening, the tracker brought this bullet uh, to him and said, Hey, uh, I found this bullet. I know you like seeing these. And he asked him, where'd you find this bullet? And he says, oh, I found it on the Buffalo's tongue. And he says, what? He shot this thing on the nose and it dropped just like a ton of bricks like that. You found it on the tongue. And he says they examined the skull in more detail and they found that that bullet was perfectly placed right where it should have been for that shot angle. And the bullet tumbled and stopped in its, in its skull like that and found it, you know, in the, in the mouth of this, (laughs) this darn Buffalo and knocked it unconscious, you know, shooting it, shooting in the head uh, with a three, seven, five. And it was actually the follow-up shot that killed the Buffalo. And so that got him to thinking, gosh, what the heck is going on here? Right. Yeah, really. You shoot something at 50 yards with a 375, no problem at all. But you, know, you shoot it at very close range like that, then you start to have problems. And so he diagnosed the problem as an overstability issue where there's a formula called the Greenhill formula, which is a very, very old formula used by, I think it was developed by a British guy talking about uh, trying to calculate the appropriate uh, amount of spin to put on an artillery projectile so that it is stable. Well, he got to working in the Green Hill formula and realized, gosh, with the twist rate that I have in my 375, uh, this weight bullet, this linked bullet, et cetera, it's, I want to say, I, I can't remember e- the exact details, but I want to say his 375 had a 1 in 12 inch twist rate and it needed a 1 in 18 or a 1 in 20 inch twist rate to stabilize this bullet. So he thought, okay, um, 
this twist rate is too fast. It's much easier for me to get a heavier or a longer bullet than it is for me to get a 375 with a slower twist rate in the barrel. And so mm-hmm. he made some changes like that. And the, the, the problem kind of resolved itself going from a 300 grain bullet, say to a 380 grain bullet. He was also using a very old style bullet on that hunt. It was actually a client of his, but it was a 300 grain Remington, uh, solid Kynock style solid, very, very old design, about as simple as a round nose bullet as you can get switching over to a 380 grain flat nose bullet, you know, changed, changed the game quite a bit there. So he noticed similar problems with his 505 Gibbs and similar changes fixed the problem. So that was the, the, uh, the context of what he was talking about with, with that. Well, let, let me ask you then to, so the bullet sounds to me like it was overstabilized, causing what? What is going on with the bullet? I mean, we we know that bullets spiral mm-hmm. on their line of travel, and that's that settling down. You've talked about after 100 yards, you should be maybe even 50 is all it takes. But mm-hmm. that initial wobble settles down. So initially, your BC is lower because your bullet is yawing. The point of your bullet is circling around the axis of its actual, I suppose, the, the center of the bullet. Mm-hmm. And that creates more friction in the air. Then once it settles down to its oscillation around its core and stops that point yaw, your BC goes up because you're pushing less air out of the way. You've got less surface area dragging. Does that sound right? Uh, you're... We're, we're, we're in the right idea with that. Yeah. The, the yaw of the bullet around the axis s- settles down the further you go. It's a, it's extremely dense and extremely complicated with all of this stuff, but dealing with it, but, but long story short. Yeah. To a certain extent, it does settle down. And like I said, exactly how fast this happens depends on a number of different factors, the shape of the bullet, how fast it is, the air density, et cetera, et cetera. You know, okay. So the problems with, with a bullet that's not spinning fast enough are, are, are well-documented, right? You have yeah. all kinds of problems. You shoot a, a really long, high BC bullet and a really slow rifling twist rate, and you, you, know, you, you have the bullet keyholing and hitting the, the target right. sideways, et cetera. As you, get, as you increase the spin, the, excuse me, the twist rate in your rifle barrel, you're spinning up the, speeding up the spin rate of the bullet, and it, as you get closer and closer to what that ideal twist rate is for your given bullet, et cetera, that yaw starts to settle down. And then there's a sweet spot with every bullet, right? Where you're, okay, you're right there. This is exactly where you need to be. Getting a little bit past that doesn't cause problems, but the, the faster you spin that bullet, you can start to have some accuracy problems with it. That's why we don't use, say, a one and one inch uh, twist rate in all in all of our rifles, right? If more is yeah. better, then you know that's you just put it in everything. You can shoot every bullet uh, that you could ever think of uh, uh, through this deal. So you start to see a little bit of degradation as you get faster and faster with with these bullets. Um, it's not the only factor that's going on with accuracy, and it can be a case too where you take a bullet uh, that is. Uh, properly stabilized at you know such and such twist uh, barrel. You put it in a different rifle with a little bit faster twist rate. It could even shoot more accurately due to some other factors there that may have just been more favorable to accuracy in that rifle. But in general, this is a thing that just it just happens, and that is why say with competitive shooters, especially bench rest guys and whatnot, they use 
a slower twist rate that is adequate for what what whatever it is that they're doing. So they don't use the fastest they can use. Really, they use something on the slower end of what is um, most optimal for whatever that bullet is to to properly stabilize it. But like I said, this is one of these things that it can degrade accuracy and it can also cause problems with your terminal performance as well. Uh, <clears throat> John, let me stop you for a second. I'm trying to apply this to the average hunter, me. Mm-hmm. Deer hunting, elk hunting, whatever. Uh, yeah, buffalo, elephant, once in a while, you know. But yeah. mostly we're concerned about what is happening with my 308 Winchester or my 30 out 6 my 270, my 243, all the common cartridges. Do we have to be worried about this? Or is this only limited to supreme accuracy for target shooting competitions and or this tumbling bullet problem with the elephant at close range? I'd say for your average guy with your average off-the-shelf rifle and just factory ammo, it's not going to be a problem, right? Um, okay. It you, you start dealing with problems at the extremes here. So, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, you take a regular 270 Winchester and you put, say, uh, that new 165-grain Acubon long range from Nosler in it. Um, it might be stable in your rifle, depending on the accuracy, the atmospheric conditions and all that stuff, but it also might not be, right? You know, that yeah, rifle right. is, is you know, optimized for 130, 150 grain bullets. Right. At the same time, you can potentially run into problems where, say, you buy a new rifle. Uh, say, I think Browning makes some new X-Bolts that have a faster rifling twist rate in 270. Right. Um, you put a 130 grain soft point in one of those rifles. Probably going to shoot fine. Uh, but you're spinning that bullet a little bit faster than is necessary. So you might, emphasis on might here, uh, actually have a little bit worse accuracy with that rifle, with the fast twist rate, with that lighter bullet weight than you would, say, with your old 1 and 10-inch 270 mm-hmm. Winchester that's more optimized for it. But then again, might not, right? It depends on the rifles, and there's, you know, as you well know, there's a thousand other factors that go into accuracy here as well. Uh, so there's just so many things going on. And fortunately, like I said, uh, the, the work has already been done for the average guy with all of this stuff, with most ammo for most hunting situations. And it's really these edge situations with really heavy or really light or really slow or really, uh, fast rifling twist rates that you can run into problems with this stuff. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm always thinking of the 30 out six and its reputation for having an incredible span of bullet weights that it'll shoot well and stabilize. And mm-hmm. most of the time we say 220 grain round nose will be stabilized in your standard one in 10 twist 30 out six. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you could step on down and you're probably getting optimum potential accuracy out of 180 to 165 grain bullet. And the 150 mm-hmm. seem to shoot awfully darn well in my 30 out sixes. But I know I can go down to 130s, and I've had some wonderful accuracy with some 130-grain bullets and even some 125s. Then you get down to the little plinking bullets, 110 grains. Hornady has one, uh, even 100-grain. And they usually have a reputation for being fine for practice and maybe potting small game with a, a light load. You get the right uh, manual with a hand-loading manual that gives you the instructions for the light loads. Don't just reduce any powder. You've got to have a specific powder to do this properly. But you can get down around 1,800, 1,500 feet per second with those light little bullets and turn a 30 out 6 or a 308 Winchester into uh, more of a small game rifle. 
and it seems to adequately stabilize. So you're going from 100 grains to 220 grains and retaining good stability, good accuracy across that incredible range of bullet weights. So why is it a problem, I'm asking, in a 375 H&H, where you're generally looking at a 250-grain bullet up to a 350, you mentioned a 380. That's kind of extreme. The standard is 300. So I would have to think that the standard twist rate of the 375 H&H would be accommodating that 300-grain bullet. And yet, I've got some beautiful accuracy out of 270-grain bullets, and I'm sure you're going to do the same out of 250s, and then you're finding at 350 and even 380. So that's a pretty good span of bullet weights mm -hmm. that are stabilized. And that tells me that the average hunter with his deer elk rifle doesn't have to worry about his twist rates because the factory ammunition has been built to fit the, what is generally the standard twist rates for that particular cartridge. Does that mm -hmm. sound right? I would say so, yeah. You know, like I was saying, it's it's the edge cases where you might running mm -hmm. run into problems here. And this is also a thing, too, where, you know, the 375, if you're getting one to two minutes of accuracy out of it, right, that's pretty good, right? You're generally with a 375, you're shooting bigger targets, not at usually very long range, et cetera. Right. And this is a thing where even if there was a tiny bit of problem, say a tiny bit less than optimal accuracy, or a tiny bit less than optimal penetration, you might not even notice with it, right. too. But with an elephant, um, you notice. Mm -hmm. You're right, because an elephant, gigantic animal, especially in that frontal brain shot, you're looking yeah, at yeah. multiple feet of penetration before it even mm -hmm. reaches the brain. So uh, what, it, what is going on with that bullet that caused it to re have reduced penetration? You mentioned the uh, frontal brain shot on the buffalo, and the bullet went somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And then the elephant. So tell us exactly what is happening that makes that bullet lose penetration. That is a good question. Now, it is one of these things that there's not a lot of like hard studies doing it. It happens just often enough for people to notice it. Uh, mm -hmm. But the situations where it runs, you run into problems with it aren't super common. So there's enough to have stories about it, but it's not one of these things where every elephant or every buffalo or whatever people are shooting is having problems with it. So Kevin, in this particular case, thought that the bullet, he said the, the, the way the bullet looked, it looked like it tumbled after it, after it struck that uh, buffalo. And he said that he has you know, seen and um, heard of stories like that with similar performance, but all at very, very close range. Once again, right, you shoot mm -hmm. that buffalo at 50 yards, no problem at all like that. And so he was thinking that the bullet was just taking a little bit longer to quote unquote, go to sleep after it left the muzzle. And so that is why more. you, it's a yawing a little bit more than, okay. than is, than is ideal. And so if you're striking a tiny bit, say with the bullet yawed in one direction or another, instead of just straight on, especially with that old Kynock round nose design, it's a little bit more susceptible to tumbling. Now this may have been, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that that makes sense now. I'm picturing this. So your bullet's leaving the barrel, and we always imagine it's just as straight as a laser beam, but it's not. Mm -hmm. The tip of that bullet is sort of going around the clock. The base of the bullet may be right on where it should be, but that tip is like a top that's not spinning quite properly till it mm -hmm. settles down and goes into that nice smooth spin. So if your bullet strikes when the tip is angled off, yawed off to the up or down, left or right, somewhere off of dead center, 
then it has friction more on one side than the other, and that pushes the bullet in that direction. Mm -hmm. And that's why it starts to tumble. Mm -hmm. And you're no longer having straight line penetration to the brain. You're going down into the tongue or off to the side and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. He noticed similar issues with 525 grain solids out of his 505 Gibbs, where he Mm -hmm. would shoot buffalo with it, and it would have very impressive performance. The buffalo would die, but he noticed a lot of the one they would very rarely exit no matter what the angle. And he said that the entrance wounds were oblong. They were not perfectly circular and said it happened enough that he's like, what the heck is going on here? And then one time he shot a wounded Buffalo that's, that was running away. Client shot it, wounded it, was running away and he shot it, hit it at 170 yards, something like that. And uh, he said that this bullet drilled straight through both shoulders of this Buffalo cow and just kept on going. He said Mm -hmm. both the entrance and the exit wound were perfect circles. And so he thought, golly, what the heck is going on here, right? You shoot him at 50 yards and it's having a problem with the 505 Gibbs, but uh, with penetration, but you shoot it at much longer uh, distance. It's just going straight through and who knows, right? Uh, How much, how much further would have penetrated. Um, And so it may have been an even bigger stability issue with the 505 Gibbs with those particular bullets. Um, you know, like I, I keep talking about these old Kynock style bullets, very basic round nose design. And especially with that 505 Gibbs, the bullets themselves potentially could have been very, very old as well, right? This is old British design. He was using very, very old ammo. It may have, like I said, these bullets may have been 50 years old that he was shooting. And so he may have had uh, problems with metal fatigue or some sort, something like that going on in the bullet that made them. Uh, more prone to tumbling or something like that than would have been the case with a brand new bullet right after it was made come off the press. Uh, you look in his book, The Perfect Shot, there's a, a big uh, lineup of bullets in there, all Kynock solids that are bent and squished on the rear and all kinds yeah. of weird things that you don't want to see in a solid bullet. And so um, it, is, it is possible, right? That was going on uh, w- with that. And an example that is brought up a lot is, say, an out-of-balance tire on your car, right? You put new, mm-hmm. new, new tires on your car. The people at the tire place are going to put lead weights on them to make sure they're, they're perfectly balanced. But, man, if something happens, a tire gets damaged or it's just not balanced appropriately or whatnot, you drive at 20 miles an hour, and it's no problem. But, man, you get up to 60 or 70 miles an hour, and that tire is out of balance, and it's spinning faster and faster. You go, bop, 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 right? Your car's shaking, and you're really hearing it and all of that stuff. Um, If there is an existing stability problem in a bullet, the faster you spin it, well, the more problems that you could potentially have with it. It could be just due to a poorly designed bullet. Uh, It could be a bullet that was damaged in one way or another. Um, And then it's one of these things where if you shoot it potentially at a slower twist rate, may not have too bad of problems with it, but you speed it up a little bit and you can have issues. Fortunately... We don't have a lot of bullets these days that have big stability problems with them, right? Hornady or Remington, they're they're not going to be selling ammo that has a known stability issue with it because it's not going to shoot worth a darn. It's going to make people mad. And so those things kind of get thrown by the wayside. And so I think this is what may have been going on with Kevin, just an old bullet that you know had some problems that were yeah, exacerbated yeah. by spinning it too fast or, or something like that with it. It's hard to tell because it happened so long ago and... You know, you, you're not, you're not recovering the bullets and you can't do a, a, um, a forensic, uh, deconstruction of, of what the heck, heck happened with it. And so, um, you know, he was kind of searching for things that could have potentially explained it. And that, that, 
you, like I said, we'll never know, but that could very well have been the issue with these particular problems, especially with that 505 Gibbs. But going yeah. back to you know what you keep talking about, average guy with a 308 or 270, almost certainly not going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the penetration issue, even if your bullet did tumble a bit on a small animal like that, fairly, you know, you don't need a heck of a lot of penetration anyway. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I think it's good object lesson. It helps us understand more fully this whole business about twist rates because there just seems to be a lot of confusion these days about it. Um, and I, it's understandable when you hear about it. Back in the old days, you just never heard about it. You bought your rifle and you bought your ammo or your bullets and you loaded them. They were all pretty much tailored to the common twist rates of rifle barrels. Mm-hmm. And not every rifle barrel, by the way, folks, is um, from the factories are all standardized, like 1 in 10 twist for your 308s. Sometimes they're 1 in 11. Sometimes they make them 1 in 12. It's up to the manufacturer. They do not have to adhere to a standard. It's just that most of them realize that your typical bullets across the spectrum of loaded ammunition are going to need to be spun about this fast. So they go with what they think is going to accommodate most of them. So don't freak out about your twist rates when you buy a rifle unless you're, as John said, looking for the extreme ends. Like, I want to shoot the longest, highest BC bullet possible in this caliber, so I need a fast twist rate. Do your research and figure out what twist rate is recommended for the length of the bullet. It's not the weight of the bullet. Weight obviously increases with bullet length, but you can get copper bullets that don't have the density of lead bullets for the same quantity uh, of material. So you're going to have a longer bullet in copper that doesn't weigh as much as a bullet in lead, and the lead bullet might stabilize because it's shorter. It's the length that requires faster twist rate to stabilize. So I don't know. I think, John, we sum this up by saying don't freak out about it, but do be aware of it. It's a possibility in these extreme situations that might help explain odd happenings like why did my bullet tumble instead of going a straight line. Does that sound yeah, fair? I would, I would say that's definitely a, a good way of looking at it, right? If you want to use very, very light for caliber, very, very heavy for caliber bullets, a rifle barrel with a really fast twist for caliber, really slow twist. Uh, you want, this be- can become more uh, important, like we talked about with the competitive shooters, where if you want very, very, very high degree of accuracy or very, very long range shooting, or if you want a lot of penetration, right? It's not going to be a problem on a deer, probably. Probably not even an elk or a moose maybe buffalo, maybe elephant, but once again, it all depends, right? I've heard yeah. this problem with the 375 on, on elephant, but I've never heard it with the 9.3. I've never heard of it with the 404 or 416 <laughs> or 458 or 470. Huh. Uh, so, you know, it's just one of, it's just one of these things that, that kind of pops up. And so it's not to say that, uh, you know, the, and, and even the problems that pop up every now and then with the 375 are just very edge cases very close range, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the 375 is a great cartridge. You can do all sorts of stuff with it. You just killed an elephant with one and, and you had, uh, and it was, it was a piece, piece of cake. And uh, right, so, and lots of people do. Um, but, you know, just one of these things that makes for interesting campfire discussions. And unless you're certainly. looking at a, at a, at an edge case like that, I would say certainly not something that the average guy needs to spend a lot of time and brain in, brain energy worrying about. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm glad you called me on this and brought it up because this is one of those topics that is continued to, to be discussed. People are always going to have questions about it. 
And it's obviously a lot simpler than don't worry about it, get your standard twist rate rifle barrel and go shoot. Because at the extreme ends, strange things can start to happen. So it does pay for us to have a little bit more detail, more information to work with. Um, and I think it's really going to apply to the guys who not only want to do the long range shooting with the really high BC bullets, but anyone who's interested in supreme bench rest accuracy at shorter ranges, your typical 100 yard bench rest shot, you're not going to choose a fast twist when you know that you're going to be shooting a fairly short bullet mm -hmm. with a flat base. They, they tend to, to shoot a little bit more accurately, it seems, for bench rest. But those bench rest people seem to know that. And the average folks uh, like me buying a rifle for hunting aren't freaking out about, is this going to shoot one sixteenth of an inch tighter groups <laughs> than if mm -hmm. I go with a little bit faster twist? Or am I going to want my general twist to handle a little of everything? I can shoot light bullets at varmints. I can shoot heavy bullets at moose and elk. And I can go right in the middle for my deer and pronghorn and the rest of it. Seems like a pretty reasonable way to approach this thing. I would say so, yeah. Um, but like I said, just makes for interesting things to, uh, to talk about. And for nerds like me to really dig into things like that, like what the heck happened, uh, here. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, who knows what exactly the case may be with this as well. Some things you'll never really find the answer to, but that's also what makes it interesting too. <laughs> you bet. And you know, I'm always glad nerds like you bring this stuff up because you help us all stop and expand our minds a little bit. and think about these things and it helps us to understand the whole the whole program the more we know i think the the better we shoot the better we hunt uh, the more prepared we are to buy the right rifle the right ammo the right bullets for our style of shooting uh anything like this pops up in the future are you one willing to come on again and lay it out there oh 100% yeah, I really enjoyed coming on today. Thanks a lot for having me. Like I said, it was an honor and it was a lot of fun. Um, th this is one of the things I just really enjoy talking about guns and bullets and you know ballistics, oh, yeah. et cetera, am et I'm, I'm a nerd through and through. Uh, I know there's a lot of people that listen to your podcast that listen to mine and, and, and vice versa. Uh, for those of you that really like digging into details uh, like this, check out the Big Game Hunting Podcast. I talk about cartridge comparisons and cartridge profiles in detail. We talk about this on a lot of different cartridges, some that are appropriate for Africa, some for all sorts of other stuff. I've had Kevin Kevin Robertson on the show, I want to say 15 times talking about wow. various different parts of hunting in Africa. Got some phenomenal stories, very interesting uh, lessons learned uh, over the years uh, doing that stuff. Those are always uh, great, uh, great shows. And, um, but yeah, check out the Big Game Hunting Podcast, any of the podcast apps, or go to biggamehuntingpodcast.com and uh, check it out there. I'm sure there'll be something that, uh, if you like guns and uh, ballistics, something for you to enjoy. Yeah, John, does that take them to your website where you have all your written blog articles too? It does, yeah. So I have a page on my website for the for the podcast. That uh, link that I gave you will take it uh, to you there, but you can also access all of my written materials uh, on there yeah. as well. That's what I wanted to bring to everyone's attention. John has some really nice details on cartridges and bullets. The sort of stuff I cover on Round Spomer Outdoors, John does a, a great job of that as well, so you can get his perspective and he does an excellent job of diving deep into cartridges and their performance and ballistics and all the rest of it. So check him out. Uh, thanks for joining us. That was what I call a correction of a correction. <laughs> and we always enjoy that. I always tell my listeners, anything we get wrong, 
just jump right on us and tell us why we have it wrong and give us the correction and we'll be happy to air it. And this was an example of you correcting someone else that I tried to correct about something else that I got wrong in the first place. (laughs) Well, we'll see if somebody needs to correct me on anything that I said. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we'll get some. All right. Yeah, I kind of think we're going to get some more responses on this twist rate stability stuff because it's, it's always a puzzle. I don't think anyone completely understands it, but I am going to continue digging into it. And if I come up with anything new, folks, I will present it on my podcast or my regular channel, and I think John will as well. So stay tuned. And until next time, thanks for joining us at Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcasts. Hunt honors and shoot straight.